Welcome to Be Curiosity of A Child. We are back after a long time, aren't we? Yeah, we've been very busy doing lots and lots of different things. Well, I've been mostly working. I've been making lots of um, things in Minecraft. You have. And been playing with friends. You're back to school then, aren't you? Yeah, we're back to school. Last Monday. Yeah. We're quite fortunate here on the island um, because we're able to cut ourselves off from the outside world um, and not had any cases for about 50 days now, I think, which is fantastic. Yeah, almost. Very good. And we've only had 252 cases at all. How do you know this? Have you been keeping up to date? Uh, Yeah. I'm impressed. Okay. Um, so you've also been out and about, you had a little special trip the other day, didn't you? Oh yeah, it was Curious Mummy's birthday and I went on a boat trip. We were worried that we wouldn't see anything and we were getting excited about seeing some puffins. And then we saw some dolphins playing around with us and swimming under the boat. Mm -hmm. Some of them even did some jumps. Amazing. And then we saw some seals after that. But it was funny when we were feeding the dolphins. The seagulls or gulls started swooping down and snatching the food off them. <laughs> yeah, they like so to find like, the boats, don't they? Yeah, it was sand eels, I was pretty sure. Mm hmm. There's no such thing as an A gull, a B gull, or a seagull. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I going to say? What are puffins? A little bit like penguins in a way, because they yeah. have this same. They're just a bit smaller and a bit fatter. But um, they've got quite a colourful beak kind of bending between orange and yellow and it's like a rainbow a a beak red. almost yeah. isn't it uh, almost like um it's slightly toucan but kind of a bit blunter um and not so long and they're very quick as well they are surprisingly mm -hmm. quick for how small and chubby they are they don't really fly though do they this for most of their life just out at sea yeah kind of, bobbing on the water yeah and then dive underneath and uh yeah um, yeah. hunting for little fish and things. Yeah, it was fun. I liked it. That's brilliant. Um, and then I've given a little bit back to the podcast community by writing a few reviews on Podchaser. So if I'm able to do that, then maybe you are able to review us. You read every single one out to me whilst having breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I found a few mistakes, which I corrected. So always proofread your work. Yeah. Um, so if you listen to us, then please feel free to give back to us through the form of a review or a song or a song review. Um, basically, what he's trying to say is, please review us. Yes, please. Podchaser or Apple iTunes, best place. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter at CurieChildPod. How's that spelled? Um, Curie, as in C-U-R-I. Child, I think you know how to spell child. And then Pod. So the beginning of podcast, P-O-D. Yeah. Like peas in a pod. Yes. Just like we're peas in a bed at the moment. But don't pee in my bed, please. <laughs> okay. Um, so shall we get on with the show? Yep, on with the show. Anton investigates... Pollinators. The Pollinator Project is a mission started by... Um, last something... <laughs> By La Société Gansier. La Société La Société Gansier. La Sausages Gansier. <laughs> the Sauces Gansier. <laughs> okay, what do they do? 
They're a group of people who help around the island with studying the history, natural history, geography and geology of Guernsey. And they did this all the way back from 1882. Not quite Sir Isaac Brock time though. No, nearly as old as Granny though. <laughs> yeah, curious Granny. Anyway, the Pollinator Project was launched at the Nature Festival hosted at Le Coteles on October 17th, 2017. Their goal is to get the local community supporting them and helping the pollinators survive by giving them new food and habitat. And if you're wondering what pollinates the planet, here is a list of some of them. Almost all bees, pollen wasps, ants, flies, mosquitoes, hoverflies, moths and butterflies. Um, so they are lepidopterans, <laughs> which are an order of insects with about 180,000 different species. Beetles, many monkeys, lemurs, possums and rodents, and even some lizards pollinate specific plants and there are a great number of pollinating birds too. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of different creatures then. Because you don't necessarily think of all of those, do you? No. Pollinating insects need help. More and more farmland is being snatched away from bees. Climate change doesn't help either. Rural land is hastily urbanising <laughs> and pesticides are being overused, are crushing the pollinators. How would you feel if people took everything away from you every single day? I don't think I'd be very happy. No. And not just that, but poisoning me as well with <laughs> pesticides and things. Yeah. So, I've got a few pictures for you. Can you explain to the um, listeners what they are of? Okay, well, these are of what most people think of when um, you say a pollinator. So, there's sort of like some honeybees here over their kind of lattice work of um, all the hexagons where they lay there. Yeah, it's actually crops. really amazing how they make that because they're all perfectly in line and um, all the same size. Yes, it's a beautiful structure that yeah. they make there um, and a very efficient use of space. And there's also here a picture of a bumblebee, which is many people's favourite pollinator, I think. So. Yeah. So last year they were promoting bees, weren't they? But this year they've been looking at... Butterflies. That's right. And the 19 different butterflies in Guernsey. Yep, the COVID-19. <laughs> yeah. So during lockdown, the Pollinator Project encouraged islanders and their children to find the 19 local species of butterfly. They sent all the families on the island a leaflet through the post with pictures of all the butterflies to be found. So, we went hunting for them, didn't we? Let's go live to ourselves in the past. Yeah, over to you, me. We're recording live from the Garen Nature Reserve here, doing the Pollinator Project butterfly hunt. Yeah, so we have just found a very um, brightly coloured speckled wood, literally a minute into our walk. Yeah, less than that, I think probably a metre into our walk. It's beautiful, yeah. isn't it? So we're going to keep on hunting here. There's loads of bird song, isn't it? It's gorgeous and lots yeah. of buzzy bees too. I'm going to try spot a peacock because they're quite rare and they are known to be found here. Okay, let's get hunting, shall we? Yep. You can probably hear all the bird song as we're walking 
down a path between the ferns. Anton's just raced off ahead of me a little bit in his quest for more butterflies. Have you seen any? We have just spot a green veined white. Looks like it's holding its wings correctly. Well, you can notice the green veins. <laughs> Good spot. So we've just seen what looks like maybe a holly blue or possibly a common blue. Oh, I think it's a holly blue, but we weren't fully sure because it was pretty high up. Yeah, it's heading up towards a, uh, a nice oak tree. So yeah. hopefully it will land somewhere. The green veined white is still here with us, isn't it? Yeah. So let's keep on walking carefully and see what we can find. A lot of them are quite small as well, but some of them can be humongous. Why do they have... Lots of cuckoo spit here. <laughs> Just been chasing a butterfly, trying to identify it, but now you're not sure, are you? No, I don't think it is, actually. Completely different wings, mm -hmm. and a completely different wing layout. Looks, I don't know what Slightly it Slightly like. brownie colour, actually. With some it doesn't actually on. look like any of these ones. And if it's to have a muff. Well, we've managed to just about snap a photo, so uh, yeah, maybe we can. can identify it. Yeah. We've also found a fairy door. Yes. Um, up over there. You might have seen, I'm not sure if you sent any pictures. Yeah, on Twitter um, I put some. Yeah. yeah. I'll try and get a close-up of this now. Yeah. The butterflies we found are effective pollinators because when they feed on the nectar of flowers they use their very long tongues um, to reach where other insects can't. Yeah, well. and there's probably some species of flower quite dependent on them. Yeah. Moths. Most people think of moths as just patternless butterflies, but they are very important too. As most of them fly at night, they are the pollinator night shift, visiting flowers that don't shut their delicate petally doors at night. I find it odd how lots of people go, oh, I love butterflies, and then they see a moth and they don't like it. <laughs> I love moths. And we used yeah. to get some really big ones in the hedge, the hawk moths, and they're pretty oh, yeah. fat. <gasps> they're brilliant. Yeah, the um, hummingbird hawk moths. We saw one of those. Oh, yeah. That's amazing, wasn't it? They, they're really cool. <laughs> yeah, this was a couple of years ago. You don't get them often in the UK. It looks so much like a hummingbird when it's yeah. at the flower. It's, it's amazing. It's big as well. It's, yeah. It's um, really nice. Bees. In Guernsey, we have 117 different types of bees. It's amazing how many there are. I wouldn't think that. <laughs> no. Here are a few of the more common types. Solitary bees. They get their name because they live alone. Each type makes their home in different places where they often dig deep holes where they lay their eggs. Their bees will collect pollen and nectar, which they will leave in the nest for their young to feed on, so when they hatch. Mm -hmm. They are not aggressive and rarely sting. We have a couple of bee hotels in the garden, and one of them is actually designed for solitary bees. It's like um, a flat, so I found that quite funny. When, yeah. um, they, they live on their own, but they're in a, um, a block of flats. Yeah, it's got lots of holes for them. We've got some by the car as well. Oh, the little yeah. holes in the wall, the drainage holes. Oh, I remember seeing the massive spider with the wasp. That is the biggest spider the I've ever seen. Yeah, they were ginormous. Yeah. And it was quite funny, it was like a wasp and a spider. But then about a week later, we found a wasp lying there, looked dead. I felt sorry for that wasp. Bumblebees. 
Yay. <laughs> they are big and hairy, but not as monstrous as they seem. They are social bees, which means they live in colonies, with one queen bee who lays all the eggs, and many other worker bees. They kind of act as guards and look after the young, but also collect the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they go out pollinating, don't they? Yeah, so they work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because they are hairy, lots of pollen sticks to them when they're visiting flowers. Yeah, then they will actually make their nests in um, sometimes like old rabbit holes and in kind of gaps in trees. Well, you might get their nests sometimes in like chimneys or your home, but again, they're not a particularly aggressive bee, so they're not going to go out and sting you. So as long as you're careful around them, you'll be absolutely fine and don't disturb them. Um, and then at the end of the summer or in the autumn time, the workers actually all die. Yeah, and, the, and it's the queen bee who just stays there hibernating. Well, yeah, she'll go off somewhere else. She'll find yeah. a safe place to hibernate. Um, and then come spring or summer or something, she's going to start laying all those eggs again. Yeah. Honeybees. These are another type of social bee that has been domesticated by people and is where your honey comes from, hence the name. (laughs) They're not actually native to Europe and originate in Asia. Whilst they're very important for pollination, we have to be careful where we place their hives to make sure that they don't outcompete the native bees. So I'm amazed, actually, that they are not native. Yeah. From Asia, um, they've been brought in here. So there's definitely a story. Yeah. They've got other problems as well, haven't they? In recent years, many nests have been dying due to the spread of diseases. Maybe they need to isolate too. Some other insects now. Okay. Lots of other insects pollinate too, but maybe don't get the credit they deserve, particularly wasps. <gasps> Wasps are also pollinators, but more importantly, they help manage pests and other insects that eat crops. And they also seem to um, cause a bit of a problem to people as well, because I remember a time at school, people mm-hmm. were running across the playground running away from this wasp, or it might even even been a bee, and it's like, it's just a wasp, what's it going to do? Yeah, people get really scared of them. Yeah. Um, but... There's so many types of wasps. There's a thought that for kind of every type of insect, there's another type of wasp that's going to prey on it. Um, and a lot of them are parasitic, so they'll go off and capture different insects and uh, eat them. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> or lay their eggs inside. I see why people are scared now. Um, <laughs> it is estimated that in the UK, social wasps consume about 14 million kilograms of crop damaging insects each year. There's a few other insects as well, I think, aren't there, that help with pollination? Yep. Hoverflies um, are the best flies for pollination. Lots of them look like wasps, bees or hornets, so often get confused for them. So that's quite good camouflage as well. Yeah. It's like camouflage by being more visible. Mm-hmm. That's to, um... like poison dart frogs or something. It's kind of, yeah. don't come near me or eat me, I'm going to poison you to death. <laughs> oh, that's nice again. Uh-huh. Recent research has shown that hoverflies might be nearly as important as bees. So, I guess they pollinate very well as well. Yeah, they're not as hairy, so they can't take as much from flower to flower, but then they're, yeah, they're very busy. They're busy bees pollinating. (laughs) Yeah, helpful hoverflies. Yes, that's it. 
Even some beetles and occasionally ants help the pollinator forces as they march over the flowers. Yeah, so lots of different creatures are involved with that, aren't they? But yeah. it's important that um, we keep a good habitat for them, which is what the Pollinator Project tries to do by um, educating and encouraging people to um, maybe leave part of their garden a little bit wild. Yeah. Um, so there's like the no mow may, where you wouldn't mow your lawn. Oh, to allow the flowers funny. to come out. Um, yeah. And yeah, just little patches where the insects can find a bit of a habitat there and help uh, help them survive, really. <laughs> yeah. So pollinators, important, yeah? Yeah. Wasps? Yeah. Good? Yeah. Bees, good? Yeah. Butterflies? Yeah. Moths? Yeah. Beetles? Yeah. Ants? Yeah. All good? Yeah. What would happen if we didn't have them? Yeah. Bad. Bad death. <laughs> no. <laughs> Now, we're going to head from insects that some people find a little bit scary to something I found terrifying. <laughs> a couple of days ago, um, when I was getting ready for bed, I passed your room and I just whispered through the doorway, a little goodnight to you, as I always do. Then I walked into my bedroom and my heart jumped out of my chest. Oh, yeah. It's hidden under my covers. There was something in my bed. <laughs> it was you, and you'd fallen asleep there. But my word, my heart, it jumped so much. <laughs> kind of more than usual. Now, I suspect this might have been a little bit because I'd have kind of, by saying goodnight to you, I'd already primed myself <laughs> yeah. that you were in your room and uh, asleep. And um, so I, it kind of got me thinking, kind of, what actually makes that feeling? Kind of what, what's going on? Like when you feel that jump in your chest, I mean, what do you think's happening there? Um, your heart's screaming too, it's like... <laughs> um, well, obviously, it's got something to do with your brain, because most things do. Mm -hmm. And I saw your picture. Um, <laughs> and I'm not really sure. Yeah, should we find out then? Yep. Okay. So, fear needs something kind of to start it off. So it's often kind of an unexpected event, such as you hidden in my bed, <laughs> that triggers uh, the response <laughs> that you have. Um, so this might be something that you see or something that you hear, and then that travels to part of your brain called the amygdala. One in the left-hand side of your brain and one in the right-hand side of your brain. Mm -hmm. Then they're down near the bottom uh, of yeah. your brain here, so just above your brainstem. Um, and they actually come from the Greek word for almond. These have got a similar shape, they look like oh, little yeah, almonds. Oh yeah, okay? they do look a little bit like almonds. <laughs> now the role of the amygdala is to help modulate and control our reactions. And it's essential in helping us feel certain emotions and also um, seeing them in other people. So in people whose amygdalas are damaged, um, it's said that they might be unable to recognise fear in other people's faces. Mm. So that's kind of important for us to have, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Being able to read somebody's face. Does that mean um, someone wouldn't be able to recognise a person as well, or is it just like... That would be a different part of the brain that's damaged there. Okay. Uh, but you do, yeah, you get people who can't recognise faces. So it's odd to think that these two small parts in our brain are active when we're scared, but we don't kind of feel the fear there. We kind of feel it everywhere else in our body and our kind of self-presence. Yeah, it's, anywhere it's, but there. Yeah, it's not like you actually feel a tingling or something in those bits of your brain. Yeah. So after your amygdala has had a good look at um, what's going on, it sends a signal using a neurotransmitter called uh, glutamate, and then that takes it even further and deeper down into your ancient brain. So it's often referred to as the reptilian brain. 
And now this controls a lot of our basic functions of our body, like our breathing and our heart. So it's like really important low level stuff that's going on there. Yeah, so, so shows, like um, baby mm. stuff, I guess. <laughs> well, even more basic than that. Um, but it shows how primal fear is. That it goes right deep down into the original kind of brain. Yeah, that's so that proves that being scared can save your life. Yeah, well. exactly. So when you jump or freeze when scared, a part of your brain called the periaqueductal gray is acting on that. And it's such a primordial response that there's very little that we can actually do to control it ourselves. Our yeah. body is taking over and we don't have conscious control of it. So that's why people jump and why yeah. it's so fun to make them jump. <laughs> now you've been asking me for a couple of days what it is that you've ruined. And you've yeah. ruined that I can't make you jump. Um, yeah. So I've been trying to make you jump to get a good sound clip for this. And everything I do fails. Oh yeah, like like your scary zombie in the dark. And oh, I remember you doing ha having a den, and you looked like um, a weird game. Then you went off to put your weird hat on. <laughs> it's like a a nice weird hat, <laughs> and I couldn't see your face properly. Did you put a sock on your face? <laughs> I don't know. Your amygdala is also linked to other parts of your brain, such as your hypothalamus. And that's responsible for a lot of your body's other functions regarding fear. So increasing your heart rate, your blood pressure going up, and also helps to start the release of adrenaline and your fight or flight response. So do you know what your fight or flight response is? Um, hit or run, so fleeing or attacking. Yeah, so it's kind of when there's a threat or something, it's how quickly you kind of size up your chances of either winning the fight or having to Using. run. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like. If there, if you just realise it's a mouse, you would probably fight. If it's a giant bear, I think you would flee. Yeah, be careful of fleeing bees. Though. Now, <laughs> I've got a diagram here of the glands in your body, and I want you to find the adrenal glands and just tell me where they basically are. Now, I've got a feeling you're going to laugh when you see this picture. Why are you laughing? <laughs> right, can you find the adrenal glands? It's not where the penis balls are. <laughs> Mate? Uh, it's not where... Well, it's close to the pancreas. Pancreas. <laughs> it, Have you found them? Yeah, it's um kind of hipish height. Yeah, a bit up from there. So it's yeah. near the middle of your body, isn't it? Yeah. Now I don't know if they're there just so they can help kind of get adrenaline all around your system quickly because it's kind of centralised. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to uh, make children laugh. So what we've learned so far is that your amygdala is kind of like a little commander sending lots of orders and signals to different parts of your brain and preparing them kind of for attack or to run away, isn't it? Yeah. And all this happens pretty much well, instantly. It's like advance or retreat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're not really conscious of having done any of that, are you? It's just happened. Your body is primed and ready for action, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now your muscles, they might be feeling a bit shaky and weak now, eh? Have you ever had that where your legs feel a bit weak? Jelly legs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, jelly legs. Um, now, this might actually be because there's more blood being pumped into them. So, so it's like pushing it and there's more weight. Or <laughs> Not exactly. Sink. It's um, You're getting ready for kind of an explosive movement. Yeah. Um, it's like when you get pins and needles. That sensation is actually the blood's returning to your numb limb or something, okay? Mm -hmm. So I think it's probably similar. Your shaky legs are a little bit adrenaline and everything going through your body, but you're actually getting more blood in there, so they're pretty stronger, not weaker. <laughs> yeah. What happens next? Um, 
the explosive sprint? Well, in my case, I noticed that it was just you asleep in my bed. <laughs> That's lucky. Uh, so my conscious brain it now caught up with my unconscious um, and started to be rational. Do you think it seems like a bit of a waste of effort that my body went through all these different actions because you were lying in my bed? Well, if you didn't know that, though. So I guess not. Exactly. So this kind of automatic response is really important. So imagine that happens to you um, as a hunter, kind of going through the jungle. And 99 out of 100 times, it's just a bird or a monkey or something up in a tree. Yeah. But what happens to that one time when it's a tiger? Uh, you need to be ready, don't you? Yeah. So that's why we have um, this really strong, what's called startle reflex. Um, because when there's danger there, we need to be ready. So it's beneficial to us to waste a little bit of energy all those other times to ensure survival the one time it is dangerous. Yeah. Okay, now I've got a quote here from a professor, Otmar Lip of Curtin University. And he has this to say on the startle reflex. Say you're seeing a suspense thriller. Think psycho or the like. You're watching the person standing there under the shower and the killer comes in with a knife. Then someone slams the door. Oh, then someone slams <laughs> the door. <laughs> what do you do? You jump out of your skin. Whereas if you're watching a comedy and there's hilarity all over the place, people laughing, pies flying, and then someone slams the door, your chance of being really startled is reduced. So even though the physical stimulus was the same, your action was different, mate. <laughs> because, the ref because the reflex is dependent on the emotional state you're in. Like I was saying before, I was quite calm, but I primed my brain that you weren't in my bedroom. You were asleep in your bed. Mm -hmm. So then when I came into my room and saw that mass, that heap, <laughs> that strange shape lying there, oh, maybe gosh. that's why I had such a strong starter reflex. Yeah. <laughs> but as we said, on most occasions, the starter reflex was to a situation that wasn't actually that dangerous. Uh, so our body has developed a way um, to just as quickly kind of stop Shut it down. Yeah, to shut it down, exactly, to shut it down. So it starts to regulate your heart, it flushes the adrenaline from your system, and then having um, passed the danger, you get a hit of dopamine. And this is another hormone, and um, it's kind of your reward hormone. And it makes you feel good. You, you reward yourself <laughs> yeah, for surviving. That's why, like, um, you would have been, you probably would have felt very, ah, after that, would have, you would have been like, ah, oh, phew. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And then some people actually scare really easily. So uh, watch this video because this chap seems to have a very sensitive startle reflex. And I guess his um, his very 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 old ancestors had lots of um, animals near their cave. Maybe they did. Yeah, maybe they lived somewhere really dangerous. <laughs> so explain what's happening. So, the most easily scared guy in the world has just walked in to get some boxes. And now our head's in the boxes, and now he's just run away, terrified. <laughs> he's falling over. Yeah. With fear. Yeah. And now he's laughing. Okay, so this is a chap somewhere in the world, which I can't remember now. Um, and, yeah, he's scared really easy, doesn't he? Yeah. But he's very well-natured about it. He seems to actually love that people scare him. Yeah, he likes the pranks. Can you use fear to your advantage, do you think? Um, yeah. Been out on many dates with the girls yet? No. No? Okay. So you might think that taking a girl, or boy, <laughs> to watch a romantic film is the perfect date. 
But it seems that might not be true because there's actually lots of evidence to show that watching something a little scarier together might have a better effect. So um, they're showing that maybe your date will attribute their racing heart when they're scared to being with you. They think their hearts are flutter. Then they might also be seeking support and protection from you. And it's kind of a shared experience. And it's also an opportunity for you to show kindness towards them. Because you've gone through, like we're saying, a really kind of primordial kind of reaction and emotion together, haven't you? And mm-hmm. so you share that together. 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 Um, so actually being in this stressful but actually safe situation can help you form lots of good kind of bonds and memories. Mm-hmm. But be careful because it's also possible to scare someone to death. And that, Anton, is what you put my body through when you fell asleep in my bed. Uh, okay. So yeah, thanks a lot. You're welcome. I think that's a wrap. That's what I was going to say. Rewind. That's a wrap. Oh, so I still rewinded myself. Okay. That's a wrap. I haven't rewound yet. That's a wrap. Thank you for reviewing us, because I'm sure you will. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, so thanks very much, and hopefully we will be back soon. I want to... Um, look at maybe not for the next episode but sometime how bees were brought from Asia to Europe mm-hmm. that was I found that fascinating and I want to go pee pee now and you want to go pee pee okay so goodbye bye